Meals matter. Uh, They are so very full of significance. Uh, In her book, Hungry City, uh, How Meals Shape Our Lives, Carolyn Steele says this, Few acts are more expressive of companionship than a shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be a friend or well on the way to becoming one. And Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says this, Jesus didn't run projects, establish ministries, create programs, or put on events. He ate meals. Well, as you know, today is Communion Sunday for us, uh, that first Sunday of the month where we have a a shorter message and a table-focused service where we hold together word and sacrament. And of course, families eat together. And as I'm sure many of you know, because I'm sure many of you have been to large family gatherings, uh, family reunions and the like, you, you know that, that not everyone always gets along easily at those gatherings uh, because there are sometimes significant differences among relatives. But meals help unite us despite our differences. And that's one reason that Jesus gave his church, his family, uh, the gift of this meal, the Lord's Supper. And so today we're going to consider unity in the body of Christ as we prepare ourselves to come to the table. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 6. And let's pray and then we'll hear this part of God's Word. Well, Almighty God, we do thank You for Your Word. And we come as those who want to, who need to hear and understand, to see and believe. And yet we realize that that we often struggle to do so, that, that, that we're often captured by other things. And so we ask that You would have mercy on us now, that You would open Your Word to us, and us to your word, that we might feed by faith on the living bread, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We'll hear now the word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. And this is God's Word. One body, one spirit, One hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
And as Paul adds in 1 Corinthians 10, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Okay, so it's pretty obvious that there is a running theme here. Uh, If you pay just a little bit of attention, you may have noticed some repetition. And so if we were to summarize in just one word what that theme is, it would be the word one. I mean, the word is repeated ten times in just these couple of verses uh, that we read together. And it's repeated because the emphasis is on unity in the body of Christ. So I remember when, when Heather and I were living in Vancouver, Canada, and our church uh, one weekend was hosting uh, an urban church planting conference, and one of our, our guest speakers was J.I. Packer. And I remember at one of the, the talks, uh, Dr. Packer was speaking on unity in the church, and he said something that I think caught most of us off guard and definitely grabbed our attention. Because he said, so often what we do in the church is we end up talking about how we need to come together and unite. And then he said, but what does the Bible say? The Bible says that we are already united. We are one in Christ. And therefore, what we need to do is live out the unity that is ours in Christ. Again, one reason that Jesus gave His church uh, the gift of the Lord's Supper is because meals help unite us despite our differences. Or more accurately, in this case, the supper helps us live out the reality of the unity that is ours in Jesus. Again, Paul emphasizes one body, One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Now, as as you already know, one of the words that we use to describe the Lord's Supper is the word communion. I mean, we've already... Referenced it uh, multiple times this morning, it being a communion Sunday for us. Uh, but where, where do we get that word? Where does that word come from? Well, it comes from this, this other passage that I've referenced, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where he describes the cup as a participation in the blood of Christ. And then describes the bread as a participation in the body of Christ. And it's that word participation. Uh, It's it's translated from a Greek word that you may have heard before. It's the the word koinonia, uh, which means fellowship, community, communion. And it's a word that when we're speaking of the Lord's Supper, as as, as Paul, when he's speaking, it it connotes that, that this is an act of communion or participation with Christ and with the body of Christ, with one another. And so it's communing with the Lord and with His people. In other words, it's a relational act. And in our passage from Ephesians, from Ephesians 4, Paul emphasizes what that relationship with one another should look like. Now take a look, verses 1 through 3. He exhorts us to walk. And to walk how? With all humility and gentleness. 
with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul emphasizes relationship. Not only our relationship with God, but also our relationship with one another. Again, the Lord's Supper is a relational act. I mean, think about it. Meals are often like that, aren't they? I mean, when you're invited to dinner, the invitation is about much more than food, isn't it? You're not merely attending a food event. No, it's an invitation to fellowship, to friendship. So I think back to the summer of 1994, uh, just a few years after the Cold War had ended, and I was a college student on a college missions trip with InterVarsity. So yes, I'm, I'm showing my age a bit now. Uh, I, I was on this college uh, missions trip with, with students from North, South Carolina, and Virginia, and we spent the summer uh, in the heart of Ukraine, the capital, Kiev. Uh, I've spoken about this trip before, but I, but I realize I've never shared this uh, particular story uh, from that time together. And so it was uh, 13 of us American students, uh, two American campus ministers, and we were all paired up with Ukrainian counterparts, our roommates and study partners for the summer. And and we lived together in a a large uh, communist block dorm uh, at at the heart of the Kiev Pedagogical Institute. Uh, My roommate uh, was Igor, uh, Igor Yeremenko. And one of the best things that happened during that summer is that towards the end of our time, our stay in Ukraine, is each of us got to travel with our roommates to their home. Now, some of the folks lived right in the heart of Kiev, others on the outskirts. And so I was able to travel with Igor to his home in a small suburb, a small town, about an hour northeast of Kiev. Uh, called Bravery. And it was kind of lost on me uh, at the moment, at least. I, I didn't realize that it was kind of a big deal that an American was coming to visit this former Soviet family. Because just a few years earlier, we'd been enemies. In fact, Igor had been a part of the, the Soviet army. Uh, He had driven army tanks for the USSR. And so I remember when we arrived, it was late in the afternoon, and there were uh, were, uh, other family and friends, neighbors that were there to to greet us as we arrived. But then dinner that night was just Igor's family uh, with me. And it was a a very special meal. And I remember as we gathered around the table, uh, it was uh, Igor's uh, parents, uh, Mr. and Ms. Yeremenko, Uh, It was his wife, Tanya. Yes, he was married, but living with me for the summer. Uh, His wife, Tanya, living with his parents. And then it was his uh, younger sister, Lena. Now, I need to point out that only two people at that table spoke English. That was me and Igor. So everybody else, it was Ukrainian and Russian. And I remember everybody's eyes just kind of fixed on me as uh, the various parts of this meal uh, were, were coming out. And it was passed around family style. And fortunately, as I'm looking around, I'm excited about each part of this meal until I noticed the sour cream. I'm just not a big fan of sour cream. However, this was the first time 
And all the weeks that I'd already been there, that I was being offered a choice. Every other time when we ate, the sour cream was already included on top of whatever we were eating. And so as it's being passed around, Igor turns to me and says, Camper, would you like some sour cream? And with a big smile on my face, I said, no, thank you. And he responded with, if you don't take it, you will greatly offend my family. To which I smiled and responded, I would love some, thank you. And so there was a big dollop in the middle of my borscht. Now, the the point is this. That meal was about much more than food. It wasn't merely a food event, not at all. It was an invitation to friendship, to fellowship, to intimacy, being invited in, being welcomed as a stranger, even once who had been seen as an enemy, being made to be part of a family. Again, Carolyn Steele says this, Few acts are more expressive of companionship than a shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way to becoming one. And so meals matter. They are so very full of significance. And how much more significant this meal, the Lord's Supper, An invitation to friendship, to intimacy, being brought in by the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God over all things. And also an invitation to do that with one another as His people, the body of Christ. And you know, we can easily miss this important aspect of the supper, of of it being an, an act of communion with one another. Uh, British pastor Tim Chester, uh, who who I've already uh, quoted, uh, in a different book than the one I I quoted earlier, it's a wonderful little book entitled, Truth We Can Touch. Not a great title. It's about the sacraments. Truth We Can Touch. And he refers to the Lord's Supper as a community-forming act, saying that the supper itself actually creates community in a way. Okay, so so think about the deep reality expressed, uh, both in in the words, the Word of God that, that we've already read, and then here at the table of our Lord in front of us. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And why are we... One body? Well, because we share in the one bread, the living bread, Jesus. And so you you see, no matter how diverse a group of people, with our different priorities, personalities, perspectives, uh, differences, disagreements, we share a common life, life in Christ. We are one In Him. So I I remember hearing a pastor share about the very first time that he preached. And uh, he he was given the the task of of just a a brief reflection on the Lord's Supper at a a communion service. 
And, and he said that his, his main point of that message was this. Something happens. That was his main point, that something actually happens when we come to this table. So, what happens when we come? What happens? Well, there is an objective level, of course. Uh, at, at an objective level, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus that foundationally creates Christian community. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then earlier in Ephesians uh, in Ephesians 2, Paul explains that the cross has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between very different people, even those who had been enemies, that he, Jesus, has made us one. Okay, so that's, that's an objective level. Well, there's also a subjective level. And at a subjective level, we can actually experience this reality, uh, this this very real, very deep reality of being united together in Christ. And how so? Well, here's, here's the deal. So when we come to the table, we can know a deeper sense of Christian community in part because we are reminded in a very tangible way that it is all of grace. That the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that we all need Jesus all the time. And so our, our sense of, of superiority, of self-righteousness, our, our divisions begin to dissolve as, as we eat together with our focus on the cross and Christ's love for us because the Spirit is at work in and among His people. For you see, at, the, at this table, we receive grace, not only individually, but also collectively as the body of Christ. And so when we come to the table, we're able to look around. We're able to look around and see fellow sinners and sufferers saved by grace, just like us. Those who are also fellow saints, sustained by grace, just like us. And further, we come to the table as beloved children of God. And what does that mean? Well, it also means that we come as brothers and sisters in Christ. And as the saying goes, the family that eats together stays together. Well, as we now prepare to eat together, as forgiven sinners, as fellow saints, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as beloved children of God, let us look to Jesus. Let us trust in Him, depend on Him, and through Him, Walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For we are one 
in Christ. Thanks be to God.